This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're offering five conversations from Episode 7, our review of the new AASLD NAFL practice guidelines with Ken Cousy. Plus, from the vault, Conversation 59.3 from Season 2, in which we discussed a then-recent article from Jeff Lazarus and Jorn Schottenberg titled Advancing the Global Health Agenda for NAFL. This conversation continues on the idea of new guidelines and guidances. Jorn Schottenberg starts the conversation by sharing that an easel guideline commission has been set forward, which will refer to the AASLD guidance in support of its own document. Referring to the AASLD guidance itself, Louise Campbell commends the density of information made available through the guidance's extensive list of references. Thinking about the UK, she notes that NICE has historically restricted itself to analyzing UK-based data alone and expresses concern that in this situation, that approach will limit the scope of any guidance that the UK receives. Instead, she advocates for constructing a guideline that collectively harnesses the, as she puts it, masses of evidence available in different guidances and guidelines emerging throughout the world. When I ask whether she considers this possible, she cites approval of fiber scan in primary care settings as a recent leap of faith on the part of NICE and as a hopeful example that NICE might be headed in a less insular direction. Continuing in this vein, she expresses desire for an investigation into the dynamics of CAP as part of the ongoing guideline and guidance improvement processes given what it can tell us about liver health. Jordan Schottenberg agrees, noting that CAP ultimately provides a barometer for metabolic health and, as the conversation ends, Ken Cousy circles back to these ideas to get to the importance of screening in at-risk populations. These new practice guidelines represent one more positive step in the ongoing process of creating standards for how to diagnose and treat patients living with NAFLD and NASH. This episode explores the next major publication in the ongoing stream of new information and education, and an important one at that. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Let me just ask Jorn and Louise question. It's an ASLD guidance. What impact will that have, do you feel, outside the U.S., if any, directly and also indirectly? Will it have guidance and will, will it have impact on its own or will it motivate people to act? Jorn Schattenberg. Yeah, it will have impact. There is an easel guideline commission set forward now and we'll hear something towards the end of this year. It's probably going to take next year, then uh, be delayed a little bit. But anyways, I think uh, that guideline committee is looking at the guidance that has been produced here and you know, from a European perspective, certain things are um, are different. Um, also, regarding available medications, for example, and some of the context of the medical system we're operating in. But in general, I think this guidance is going to be a very helpful document moving forward, supporting uh, a future development. And again, it's not a guideline. It doesn't. Uh, it, it includes phase two studies, as Ken just mentioned. Um, but it's helpful and informs um, the field, and, and, and it will help us in Europe to also come up with a document, a more recent one. Louise Campbell. I think from our perspective, this document reviews an awful lot of information uh, and it's extremely well referenced. I think my concern is that when we review from NICE, we only consider English or British data and we do not necessarily have the plethora of data that has been used in these guidances. Maybe that's something we need to alter. We need to look at what we know about pathophysiology, what we know about NITs, what we know about the best world evidence 
to be able to use that. But I should imagine, and I suspect that NICE are in discussion to open the new NAFL guidelines from 2015 and update them. But we have a, with the American Association of Heart, the American Diabetes Association guidelines, we've got a lot of guidance around the world and Europe that has now come into the fore with masses of evidence. So we could eventually see NICE with the best guidance ever by bringing it all together. But if it purely sticks to only UK data, then I think uh, that might limit us, but it will be a step forward eight years from the last one. Is there a path for NICE to do that, do you think, Louise, or is that something that people have to put pressure on? I don't know. And how do you pressure NICE? Well, I don't know, but I do think they're... My my general sense is they're modernising and becoming less insular on the data. If we look at the recent Fibroscan that's about to come out, that we, we all asked on the podcast to take a leap of faith because there is no cost-effective evidence. We think we know a pathway, but everybody has done it differently. Everybody has cost it differently. I think if I bring it into this document now, it's the first document to talk about CAP. And yet, if you look at everybody's posters, they only ever talk about kilopascals. I've talked on the podcast for a long time is that I want to see CAP data. I want to know what it is telling me. We know that a CAP of 288 um, is going to be foie gras. But what about steatosis grade 2, steatosis grade 1? Let's bring these people back from getting to 288. If you look at the meta-analysis data, a CAP of over 248 is considered an abnormal CAP. 288 is a clinical trial requirement because we want to have high liver fat. Just generally speaking, if I look at my diabetes population, those with type 2 diabetes, and Ken, you'll be able to comment on this, and maybe Sean, is they, I tend to see caps of about 260, 270, consistently abnormal caps, but not steatosis grade 3. But we've discharged an awful lot of people from hepatology care where we've had just soft livers with high caps. Do we have to revisit those? Do we have to say five years from now, somebody who was discharged with kilopascal of 7.5, but a cap of 380 should now be recalled? So so it does open up to me lots of retrospective data reviews of where we have. And Ecosense will not now send, sell a machine without cap, but two thirds of most machines in the UK don't have cap. And I suspect that's not dissimilar in the US, but it is great to see cap now being considered as its own independent, unique measure. But I don't want to see an IQR of 50 or 60 on that cap. I now want to be seeing the standard deviation, which is continuous cap of maybe 10 or 20 max so that we are really drilling down to accuracy because I want to see let's use the best equipment with the best data but let's nail it let's drill it down and see what that margin of error is to get the best most accurate results. Uh, yeah I think you know the, the discussion around CAP and the, the information and ITs we have perfectly fits into this guidance it's just we know more today and there will be more data emerging so at least with more robust availability of also more stably measured caps, I think we'll, we'll learn more about its value. And I always tell my patients, you know, this is about your metabolic health. Maybe the, the stiffness is the one that we know is more tightly linked to outcome. But again, uh, you have a metabolically unwell liver and that's what the cap tells us. So uh, that's crucial. And I think, again, this guidance fits in very nicely here to detail even some of the more experimental NITs that are mentioned in there. And it'll, it'll help us to convey that message. Ken Kusi. Yeah. So, so you already made a great additional points to those of Louise. 
that, again, what does this guideline add to what we knew? Well, it just highlights that, that the role of cardiovascular disease and, and fat in the liver is, remember, the liver is a mirror of your metabolic health. So if you have fat in your liver, no matter if you're lean or obese, you probably have insulin resistance and a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. It also doubles your risk of developing diabetes. So what I learned from these guidelines is that the, the leading people in the U.S. for liver disease have now very clearly confirmed what we learned in these years about the risk, the need to screen, the need to treat. They discuss key, very complex issues and boil it down to a few bullets. Doctors cannot ignore this anymore. This agrees perfectly with the prior guidances we've discussed here from ACE and AGA. So now, uh, together with every major society, uh, I know the uh, Latin American society has similar guidance. Europeans are now updating theirs. Uh, we talked about NICE. We talked about any other ones. Now, I think the patients need to reach this. So I think there's a lot of education. Uh, and Roger, your podcast is a leading tool for that. So I know you're a humble man. I'm not going to say it. So I have to say it here. This is one of the tools that is going to also make a difference. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week to discuss digital therapeutics and apps and their place in health practices in the U.S., the U.K., and other countries. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.